0: Good morning everyone if you would take your bulletins out if you've got one we rarely do this but as we make a transition moving forward into more and more activities here at the church I just wanted to highlight today a few announcements um, well basically all of them if you'll call your attention to the inside of your bulletin uh, the first thing we mentioned last week is our facilities are now open for use uh, for many of you that have been waiting can I have my family's birthday party here Yes, but you still need to go through the uh, proper procedures and call the church office, make reservations, but our facilities are open. For those of you who walk during the day, that's been closed since March, but that is now open during the day from 9 to 2. If you'd like to come by the uh, gym and walk, that's available to you. Also, next Sunday is really a big day. Since March, we have not had Sunday school, and next Sunday is a big day, and uh, we want to encourage you guys to be a part of Sunday school again. We know many are still concerned about the situation. Um, And we understand that, so please, if you're not comfortable, we don't want you to be here. We're going to encourage masks, but we're not going to require those. So we just encourage, through this whole process, everyone to use common sense, use common courtesy, um, to be safe, keep your hands clean, just like we're going into flu season. So uh, we are excited that we can meet together again next week, and we'll have all of our classes. So uh, we hope that you'll be here next week at 930 as Sunday School starts back. We also encourage our preschool parents, if you have a child in the preschool department, please stop by the lobby. We have a table set up. We want to make sure we have all the information correct uh, for your children. A Sunday school, and extended session starts back. And then also, one final thing is, as you come in, you've seen since we've started uh, being inside, we have the offering that is received at the door as you come in. We're going to continue to do that. We're not going to pass plates for a while um, and that just keeps us from sharing germs, as you all know that. So just a reminder, as you come in, as you're, if you're prepared to give, you can drop that in those baskets, or if you're thinking about it during the worship service, just walk back there, you can drop that in the offering basket. That's a part of worship, so we just want to remind you guys of that. And then finally, finally, our Kitty Sue Barnes Women on Mission are going to be meeting again. They start this Thursday at 6.30 in the gym, and they invite all of our ladies to be a part of that. But I'm going to ask everyone to stand, and as you stand, I just want to read a passage of Scripture from Hebrews 13 verse 15, and it says simply this, therefore by him, Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And that is why we're here today. So we want to worship him and uh, I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer as we begin our service. God, this is a time where we gather each week and we take it for granted so often, but Lord, this is about you. This is about worshiping you. This is about praising you. This is about listening to what you have to say to us. And Lord, may we bring honor and glory to you as we've gathered in this place today, giving you the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, because you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together.
1: Them continually. You may be seated. I want to go uh, have a couple announcements. They're important, very important. Uh, our church every year goes to New York City. We do coats in the city. Uh, Randy and Debbie Smith. We're going to be doing that again this year. If you're interested in that, we'll be going December the third through the sixth. Please see me as soon as possible. We need to start working toward that end. And be praying for that. So important that we can evangelize those people in need there. Also, our Sunday school, as Kevin mentioned, will be starting next Sunday. I need to meet with all the teachers at 9 o'clock next Sunday morning. We'll be in Steve Lackey's class for a time of prayer as we start our Sunday school year off. So but be much in prayer for all those things, would you? And then this morning, we want to remember our president and first lady as they have COVID. And we want to remember their families and all the families throughout the U.S. who have have faced COVID. I know personally what that's like. So uh, let's be in prayer for them this morning. I want to read to you in Psalms 145 and verse 13 and 14. He says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all of his words. Isn't that true? Every word of God is a promise. He's faithful to keep his promises to us as people. It says, the Lord is faithful in all of his words and kind in all of his works, God's kind. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The Bible says, come before the Lord with humility and brokenness. We need to come before the Lord this morning with a humble heart and pray for our nation. You know why? The Bible says, if you humble yourselves, that God will raise you up. So we need to come before the Lord with humility. Let's all bow before him right now and go go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we want to thank you for who you are. Father, we want to thank you that you're faithful to us. And Lord that your word is true. And Lord it endures forever. All generations. And your word's everlasting. And Lord your works are kind toward us. You love us. You're gracious to us you're merciful and father we're so grateful to know you this morning and father we want to thank you that when we do fall down you're there to help us and lord you you raise us up the lord you've called us to be a people of humility to be broken because we're a people of sin we've sinned against you and father we ask for, for your forgiveness this morning we pray you would heal our nation heal our land And, Father, we pray this morning that you would be with our President and First Lady. And all the people who've faced COVID, we pray for them, for healing, for help, for encouragement. And, Father, we are so grateful to have you as our Savior, Lord. And, Father, without you, we're nothing. And, Father, we just bow before you. We thank you. And, Lord, we praise you. You're worthy of all praise and honor and glory. And, Father, we love you this morning. We want to thank you for loving us. And Lord, for setting us free. And Lord, we're reminded in your word this morning that there's nothing, absolutely nothing, that can separate us from your love, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
2: Thank you, Praise Team. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 8. This will be the last message in Romans chapter 8. um, And I've really enjoyed preaching through this section of Scripture. Uh, It's been a blessing to my heart. This final section is some of the most important. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to read verses 31 through 39. Very familiar passage of Scripture. It talks about God's love for us. Verse 31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Think about that for a minute. If God is for you, who can be against you? Who's more powerful than God? Who's more holy, just, righteous, and loving than God? If God is for you, church, who can be against you? You have no opposition. How does that make you feel? If God is for you, who can be against you? Nobody. Notice what else he says. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things, spiritually speaking? You have all that you need in Christ. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? That is a legal term. Who? And what God says throughout history and throughout the universe, who can bring a charge against you? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession. What God is saying is this. Who can condemn you when your Savior is sitting at the right hand? Who has all authority? Nobody. Who shall separate, notice the word, us. Look at the word us. That's the key point here. Us. Here in this section, context matters. Paul is talking about the church. Who can separate us? Not just everybody. Who can separate us? God's children. Who can separate us? From the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written. And he quotes the psalm. For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you feel loved? If not, I pray that you do. By the time this service is over. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, what can separate your children from your great love? Nothing. Absolutely, positively nothing. No powers, no principalities, no circumstances. Lord, nothing can separate us. No one can condemn us. No one can bring accusations against us because we've been justified through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that we would understand last week as we looked at our security, eternal security, this even more so talks about how we are loved for eternity. And Father, I pray that we would be a church that would not walk in condemnation, but would walk as conquerors because of you and your great love for us. Lord, I'm reminded as a child of God, my service to you does not make me love you more. Lord, that is my worship to you. My actions do not make you love me more. Lord, I want to thank you for that. Thank you that we're not on some performance-based relationship. That Lord, you love us because of our faith in Christ, and you see nothing but the righteousness of Christ in your church. And Father, we're thankful, Lord, once again, that nothing, nothing can separate us from your great love. Thank you for this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. David Jeremiah put this, said it this way. Listen to this. The most important fact in your life is that God loves you. The eternal self-existent being who created and sustains everything that exists dearly loves you. The profound thought of God's love should begin and end your every day. It should define your every goal, your every action. He does not merely like you when you do well. He is personally and passionately committed to your good even when you fail. God loves you. Three words. What would happen if that three-word sentence became the theme of your life? If you let it change, if you do, you'll let it change everything about you and about your world. But notice in verse 35, and actually also um, in verse 39, you see the word us. So God loves us eternally, but God's overall love is limited, listen to me, in degree. God loves the world one way and God loves His church another way. Two different distinct things. God is not a universalist. There are some people who would like to believe that God will just love everybody so much that ultimately they all get saved. That is not true. We are not all God's children. We're not. When Paul says us, he's making this an exclusive group here. In verse uh, verse 29 and verse 30 that we looked at last week, that's an exclusive group of people. God's love is not a sentimental love, it's a holy one. If you don't believe me, read about the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Read about the story of Noah in the flood. No one is automatically saved just because Christ died. You're saved because you personally place your faith and trust in Jesus. David Jeremiah put it this way. He loves the world with a temporal love. It is limited to time. It is not eternal and it is not complete. We're not all God's children. If you listen to people on TV, we're all God's children. We're not all God's children. In John 8, for instance, verses 41 through 47 a group of Jewish leaders, religious leaders, came to Jesus and said, we're of our father Abraham. You know what they were saying? We're God's children. You know what Jesus said? If, if, if you love God, you'll love me. And then Jesus began, began to explain to them, you're not God's child. You know what he told them? You are of your father, the devil. You can't have two dads. He told these Jewish religious leaders that they were lost. See, God loves the world in the sense that he sends Jesus so they can be saved, John four fourteen. First John 4.14 says this, And we have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. But that love is bound by time, and when time ends for them, so does that love, and they enter into hell and judgment. That is just orthodox Christianity. God's love is limited, but to His children, the us, His love is unlimited. In the New Testament, the Bible repeatedly says, Christ loved the church. John one, trying to make this distinction between the church and the world. He says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Very important. They didn't receive him, they rejected him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, indicating we're not all children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In first John three, John says this after being on Isle of Patmos, he writes first, second, third John. In his nineties, he's very black and white. He says, when he's thinking about that, he says, What manner of love is this? That God would love us so much. The word manner is used in Matthew 8 27, when Jesus calmed a storm and the Bible says this, but the men marveled, saying, talking about Jesus, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey me? You know what that word manner means? You're not from here. It's I can't I can't comprehend it. They saw Jesus as a man, but they're like, He's not a man like us. What manner of man is this? John's thinking about God's love, says, What manner of love is this. It's so amazing. It's hard to grasp your hand around. In 1 John 4, 17, which we'll look at later, uh, John calls his love perfect. And that's where we get the word, uh, the Greek word that Jesus used on the cross when he says, it is finished. And what Jesus is saying is this, my love for you is complete. And I would say this to you, if you are loved like that, then you have, and the first point is this, as a Christian, you have no opposition. Notice the verse on the screen. The Bible makes this statement. What shall we say to these things? What things? Verses 29 and 30. That chain there of salvation, where where God gets all the credit for your salvation. And Paul says, well, what? If that is true, then what shall we say to these things? If God loves me, and if God saved me, and if I'm saved for eternity, I'm eternally secure, what shall I say to these things? And and, and then he answers this question. If God is for us, now look at this, God is for us. Sometimes that's hard for us to believe, in it? God is for us. One scholar put it this way. You see, the matter of fact, or the fact of the matter is, many of you struggle with really believing that God is for you, but many of you have a hard time really taking it in because of your background, because of circumstances, because of whatever. It's hard for you to believe that God is for me. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Now, how did God prove it? Notice, if God is for us, and he puts the comma there, who 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 can be against us? There's nobody that can be against you. Nobody. Nobody can challenge your salvation. Nobody. If God is for us, who can be against us? And how did he prove it? We just talked about it. Notice the next verse in verse 32. So God spared not his own. Look at the word own there. It comes from the Greek word. It's almost like you get the word Adidas. His own particular personal son, to make emphasis on what the sacrifice was. So God spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us. All. Look at the word delivered. MacArthur put it this way. He didn't spare him. He didn't hold him back, but delivered him. God delivered him. God gave him over. Jesus trying to share this with the Jews when he was in the, uh, being arrested in Luke 22, he says this, When I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me. He's like, you couldn't touch me. I was here every day, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. You know what he's saying? God's allowing you to do this. God is like, so God, Paul's trying to prove a point here about your no opposition. So God spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. God gave him over to be, suffer God's wrath and bear our penalty on the cross. And matter of fact, in Isaiah 53.10, if you'll notice on the screen, the Bible says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And MacArthur goes on to say this, this about verse 32. This simple statement, the meaning of it is this. If he, give, if he gave his son to save us, won't he give us everything else to keep us since the giving of his son was the greatest gift of all? And what Paul is trying to say here in verse 32 when he says, won't he freely give us all things? If he gave the greatest gift, which, which was Jesus, he can give everything else to take care of you. Everything else is lesser than than that. And then notice you have no opposition, then there's no accusation. Notice verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who? Who shall bring a charge? Look at the word charge. It's a forensic term. The world's CSI on your life. Let me ask you something, men. Now now think about the magnitude of this. What if your life was on trial and they, to all your husbands, and they asked your wife to testify? Brutal vice versa. I mean, if they're just being honest, is everything you're about to say, is it true? Yeah. Yeah. They could be really honest, right? Now imagine the world who who don't love you. Your wife would love you and try to make you sound better than you are. Imagine the world. The Bible says Satan is a is a accuser of the brethren. See, early in Acts, Israel is opposed Israel opposes the church and Rome protects it. By the end of Acts, Rome is persecuting the church. One leader said of Paul, We have heard of your way, it is spoken evil of everywhere. They were being condemned on every every part of, of the earth they were on. And he's writing to these people in Rome and he's saying, Who shall bring a charge against you? They are, but it doesn't matter what they say. It does not matter what they say. Have you ever been accused of something? Felt attacked? I mean, think about it. The psalmist says this. Our accusers are like rain against the wall. You know what he's saying? You know what rain does to a wall? Absolutely nothing. Keep on accusing me. It doesn't matter. See, God is your shield. He is your shield. Who shall bring a charge against God? God says, I'm not hearing it. not hearing it. Say what you want. Let them speak. It does not matter. And then not only is there no accusation, notice the third thing. There's no condemnation. Notice the verse. Who is he who condemns? What's the difference between accusation and condemnation? The difference is, really, condemnation means you start to believe it. You start to believe it. Satan, when he condemns you, you start to believe what he says about you. The enemy convinces you that God is against you. See, when Satan attacked Adam and Eve in the garden, he said, did God really say this? Is God really good? He's withholding stuff from you. But here... What, what the enemy will say is, no, you, you sin, you're a bad person. God can't love you for what you've done or what you've been through. I used to have a guy to call me. Now, he got saved out of a mess. Thankfully, older in life, got saved, okay? And he'd always call me, and he'd say this. And it's always at night late. I don't know why he did it that late. I'm like, man, call me in the morning. But anyway, he would call me, and he'd say this. I did this and this and this this week. What do you think God's going to do to me next week? I said, What? He says, I didn't mean to. I prayed about it. I've tried to repent. God, I did this. Do you think God's going to get me next week? I said, where, where do you get your theology from? Where do you get your... Th-? See, what he was doing is he starting to listen to the condemnation. The battlefield's always the mind, is it not? See, accusation, condemnation, those are the... Bat- that's the battlefield of the mind. And when everybody's condemning or accusing, what God says is, there is no guilt. You're not guilty. Notice the word there, who. Who is he who condemns? It's like God says, bring him out. Bring him out. Bring, bring the person out. Who, who, who? Who is he who condemns? I want to meet this person. I want to meet this person that has more jurisdiction, more holiness, and more righteousness than I do, that call a person not guilty for eternity, and you're calling them guilty? Let me meet that person. See, your theology and your doctrine will determine how you think tomorrow. It will determine how you think tomorrow. You are not guilty. There is no condemnation. It is God who justifies. Now notice how he puts this out. Notice the word who. Who is he who condemns? Now God's shown the authority of Christ. It is Christ who died and furthermore who is risen. He's the only one who rose from the dead. And not only that, who is even at the right hand of the Father who also makes intercession for us. He said, if I was going to talk to somebody, I'd talk to Jesus about you. Who is he who condemns? It may be your coworkers, it may be family members, it may be your spouse. But you know what God says? You're not guilty for eternity. It is God who justifies, right? Declared, declared innocent for all eternity. Not guilty. Do you believe it? Some of you need to walk in a no-condemnation life. Live this, this no-condemnation life. You can either live in verse 1 and verse 28, or live in doubt and discouragement the rest of your life. There is no opposition to you. There is no accusations brought against you that will stick. And there is no condemnation for you for eternity. Why? Because Jesus Christ died and he loves you. You can live in depression or you can live in an act of worship. You can walk in condemnation or you can walk as a conqueror. He says we're more than conquerors through him who loves us. More than conquerors. That's where you get the word Nike from. Super conquerors. And then finally notice this. There's no separation. Separation. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Notice the word separate in verse 35. That's a strong word. And God's trying to prove a point. Notice that word, who shall separate. That's where we get the word divorce. Who can divorce you from Christ? You're you're the bride of Christ. You're the bride. Who can divorce you? Who can do it? It's like he's asking this question. I want to meet this person that can do this. Who shall divorce us from the love of Christ? Strong word he uses here. Words matter. He's trying to prove a point. Who can cause this separation? I just want to meet them. It's like God saying, I want to meet this person that you're believing. Who who can divorce you from Christ? You're the bride of Christ. Who can do it? Nobody can do it. Do you understand that? There's no separation ever. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You have to believe that. You cannot lose your salvation. It's theologically impossible. You have to rewrite the whole Bible. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can you? Can you do it? I have people sometimes, tell me, I don't know that I'm saved. Why? Well, I did this. So? Repent. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but it's not in the Bible. Who? I mean, look in the mirror. Are you more powerful than God? Can you separate yourself from God if you're His? Can't do it can't do it. You may believe a lie or hear bad preaching. You can't do it. Divorce is a strong word, people. I grew up in a divorced home. I understand. Who shall separate? If, if I thought I could be separated from Christ, I'd be like, what kind of Savior is that? He rose from the dead but can't keep me saved? There's no separation. Aren't you thankful? God does not leave us nor forsake us. Even even we can't leave if we're born again. We will not leave. We will not. John said they went from us because they were not of us. He says they weren't really of us, or they'd be with us to this day. Then Paul lists some things. Notice some things. I'm not going to list them all, just a few things in closing. Notice what he says. If you see this list, he said, "What Will persecution separate us? will persecution. There's 100,000 Christians will die this year because of their faith. Just because they believe Jesus rose from the dead, they'll die. Be thankful you live in America. It's bad at other places. But if that person dies, does that separate? Does that mean God doesn't love them? It doesn't. What about suffering, which we all go through? Suffering. Think about now, people losing jobs, people getting sick, all these things that are going on. You know, it's a cruel theology that says this. Jesus said this. Look, it's a cruel theology that says you'll never suffer in your life. You will. You're a human being, and you're just going to suffer eventually for something. Jesus said, take up your cross, not take up your new car keys. He never promised you anything when you got saved other than that he'd love you forever. Jesus does not promise you anything when it comes to those things. Health, wealth, and all that stuff, if you have it, praise God. Use it for his kingdom. Then notice what he says, Psalm 44 too. It's really weird. He's writing all this stuff and then he quotes this psalm. For your sake, we're killed all day long. That don't sound right. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Where'd that come from? Paul's, Paul's trying to get them to enter into his suffering. This, listen, to what one scholar says. Paul says, "I live," verse thirty-six. I live, Psalm forty-four, twenty-two. He just threw in an Old Testament verse as the Spirit inspired him. This originally was a plea for God to deliver Israel in distress. Paul says, "I know what that's like. I know that those. I know what those Jews must have felt when they cried out to God all day long, asking to be delivered, because they felt like they were just sheep headed to the slaughter." I understand that, Paul said. I've lived it, and for your sake, I've lived it. And what Paul is saying is this. I am a conqueror, even if I die in this jail cell. And he did. I am a conqueror. You are a conqueror, even if you pass away in a hospital room, a nursing home, in your car, wherever. There's a lot of ways to die, by the way. A lot of ways. But Paul says, even in that, I am more than a conqueror. If persecution should come, he would say, that don't mean God don't love me. That just means the world hates my message. And then he goes on to list these others. Notice what he says. He lists these other things up here on the screen. He says, shall, shall uh, principalities, the demonic, invisible world that we cannot see. He's saying nothing, no spiritual, supernatural reality of the invisible world can separate us from God's love. Notice where he says powers. Look at the word powers. That's kings and kingdoms. Can they separate me from the love of God in Christ? One man said this, Ten emperors from Paul with Nero to Constantine all wanted to kill Christians. And Paul says we're more than conquerors over them all. Every last one of them. What about height or depth? Notice that. He says this, Can height or depth what? One scholar put it this way, There is no height. It's an astrological term. Hoopsma. The word is used to speak of a star when it was at its zenith of its movements. Zenith of its movements. As high as you can see. Now, yesterday, during our golf tournament for Finding Hope Ministries, and I want to thank all our sponsors. I want to thank uh, everybody who played, because all your money goes to orphans. Isn't that a blessing? All your money. Thank our Baptist men. I got to play with Tim Kiever, Billy Millsaps, and the unelected, unofficial mayor of Alexander County, David Robnett. Y'all didn't know that, but he is. And I will thank David for keeping that bird from attacking me because I about got attacked by a bird when I was in the woods looking for my ball, and he saved the day. And David said this. David said this. Now, David talks a lot, but David said this. You know what's amazing? And I thought, the fact that you color coordinate all your clothes to the Green Bay Packers, I thought that, but I didn't say it. Okay? Even your golf bag, okay? But David said this. He said, the sun is 93 million miles away, now listen to this, profound. And I can turn my face and I can feel the heat. Isn't that amazing? I was like, what? That's crazy, isn't it? A star, 93 million miles away, and literally I turned my face and I could feel the heat. Isn't that amazing? If it's tweaked a little bit, we're all dead. Is that not amazing? 93 million miles. I started thinking about 93 million miles. 93 million miles. You know what Paul's saying? The height is way beyond that. And then the depth, he says there in the Greek, means it's it's just total opposite directions. Look, as far as you can go in the universe, as far as you can go, God's love's there. It's amazing, is it not? When you see the sun from now on, you just understand that God holds that sun there for you, and that His love is more powerful and greater than even the sun, that you can just turn your face to it all over the world and just feel the heat. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. And then he goes on to say this, can death separate us from God's love? I'm so thankful that to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord, aren't you? I say this every year. I usually use it for my New Year's Eve service or New Year's service. But some of us this time next year aren't going to be here, are we? Some of us aren't. This July 5th, I preached eight or nine funerals for members of this church. Graveside services because of COVID. Look, some of us in here, some of us listening on Facebook, we're not going to be here next year. Now, listen, I'll tell you something. Can your death separate you from the love of God? It cannot. As a matter of fact, it's going to usher you into his presence. I had one senior adult say this to me, okay, because I learned so much from senior adults, especially when it comes to suffering, illnesses, and things. They basically said this. I'm going to paraphrase it, Jamie Steele style. Hey, preacher, just bring death on. I'm ready for it. Why faith? You know what they're saying? Death can't touch me. Death can't. Because I understand that God, nothing can separate me from the love of God. And then he says this, now listen, he says an amazing thing, Paul says, not just death, but life. Life, your life, if you're God's child, cannot separate you from the love of God. Some of you think it can. Because you got issues in your past, it can't, it cannot. I often think of the woman caught in adultery. You know, when Jesus said, where are your accusers? She says, no one, Lord. You know, everybody started dropping their rocks. I wonder if six months later she kept thinking she was that person. Oh man, they caught me in adultery. Call me in adultery. I can't be saved. Call me in adultery. Oh yes, you can. Jesus said leave your life of sin. Do go sin no more. See, neither death nor life can separate you from the love of God. There is nothing that can do it. That's why Paul says, if you'll notice here, I think it's in verse verse thirty eight, for I am persuaded. I am persuaded. Are you persuaded? Paul says, my mind's settled on this. I don't doubt it. I'm secure. I love God. He loves me. I am persuaded. And I would tell you this, when it comes time to die, you better be persuaded because not everyone's going to heaven. Listen in verse in 1 John 4, you don't got to turn there. John says this, Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God for God is love In this is the love of God. The love of God was manifested toward us that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation. You know what that word means? It means to appease God's wrath. It means to appease. In the Old Testament, God appeased His wrath. In Noah's day, He sent a flood. In in Sodom and Gomorrah's town... He sent fire. I'm going to appease my wrath on you people. For the Jews, he appeased his wrath through the killing of an animal. But now what God says, my wrath is appeased through Jesus. And what does that mean? Notice verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. We may have boldness because perfect love casts out fear. That word cast out does not mean he does away with it. It means he takes it on himself, talking about judgment. Jesus took our judgment on himself. The isolation, the abandonment, the dark and the merciless clouds became Christ. So when Jesus died on the cross for your sins, he took away your punishment. That's why you, as a Christian and you alone, can have boldness in the day of judgment. What's more terrifying than judgment? What's more terrifying than standing before a judge? You know, I've been in I've been in courthouses for be a character reference for people. And I've seen some very arrogant people sitting in pews until they stood before the judge. And all grown men are like little boys when they stand before the judge. All women are like little girls when you stand before the judge. Because they're about to give you a verdict. But you know what what Paul or John says? On the day of judgment, for you as a Christian, you can have boldness. Because perfect love casts out fear on that day. What a blessing it is to know Jesus. What a blessing it is. God did not spare His Son, but delivered Him up for us. The word us is the church. Delivered Him up for us, for you. God delivered Him up for you. You can be saved today. And once you're born again, what can separate that? Absolutely, positively nothing. Absolutely, positively nothing. Nothing. Do you face opposition in your life? Look to Jesus. Do you have accusers in your life? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. You can have boldness in the day of judgment, not because of you and your perfect life, but because of Jesus. Confess your sin to God. Turn from your sin to Jesus. Accept Him as God Accept Him as God and as Lord of your life. And then follow Him in obedience with the faith that comes with it. Jesus Christ is willing and ready to save. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. And if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, the Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You don't need a preacher to leave you to a prayer. This is where you're at, say, Jesus, today I give my life to you. I believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as my only hope for salvation. And from this day forward, Jesus, I'm following you from this day forward. And then Christian, as you're praying, what a time to worship the Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. What a blessed promise. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you, Lord, for our salvation. Father, I'm reminded of what verse 31 says. What can we say about these things? It's so amazing. It's so overwhelming to know that God loves me. God loves me and it will never stop. It's uncaused, can't change, it's irreversible, irrevocable, it's eternal. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for Jesus. We saw it on the cross and at the empty tomb, but Lord, we live it each and every day. Nothing can separate us from your love. And Father, we praise you and thank you. Lord, we have the best news to give the world. Whether they want to hear it or not, it is the best news. Who shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Nothing and no one. We praise your name because of it. In Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people sit together. Amen. Don't leave. We have uh, some going to join the church, so I'm going to ask India and Zach to come up. I'm not sure if Cody and Maggie's here this morning. I can't see real good, but they're going to come up. And if you'll just stand right here. India's Zach's already a member. Turn around. you will tell them your little baby's name? Zay, is they cute. So they, they've come, and India's going to join by, by letter. Um, she's already been saved and baptized, and her and Zach went through Class 101. Of course, Zach's already a member. Do we have a motion to accept them as members of East Tales of Baptist Church? Do we have a second? All in favor, raise your hand, say welcome to church, and welcome to the family. We're going to give you a brick. We'll just hand that to Zach, and I want to thank you guys so much for being a part of East Tales of Baptist Church. Love you both. Honored to be all three of y'all's pastor, and uh, we can't shake hands, of course, but I know you want to You want to uh, welcome them to East Tales of Baptist Church in your own way. Here's how we're going to do the uh, dismissal. We're just going to trust you to dismiss yourselves, okay? But do practice social distancing. And please don't, uh, if you want to come up and talk to Zach and India, just just show a little grace and stand far away, further away than I am, all right? But do that. We love y'all. When Sunday school starts, let me just say this too before we close.